dear people, welcome to For Real. I'm Kim Stewart, and today I get to chat with Tyson Matzenbacher, who, in addition to having the best last name to say out loud, Matzenbacher, Matzenbacher, wrote a beautiful book about his 40-day pilgrimage up the coast of California. Tyson's luminous mom passed away, and only a few short days after the funeral, he walked out his front door and up the state. He left his work as a musician, left his everyday, and he walked hundreds of miles as he started to process his grief and his disappointment with a God who suddenly felt very unsafe. Maybe you can identify with a world that looks abruptly and irrevocably different. What on earth is a person to do? I think you'll love this conversation with author and musician Tyson Matzenbacher. Tyson Matzenbacher, thank you for joining me on For Real. I'm so excited to have you here. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is great. I'm so stoked. Um, you wrote a beautiful book. Thank you. About a beautiful adventure. And I'm super excited to talk with you about it. But before we go there, I'm so curious about the actual act of writing for you because your normal life is as a musician, right? And so you are in that creative space typically, but music is not a direct parallel to writing. So I wonder how did you like it? I loved it. It was, it actually didn't feel, it was like when I was writing, it was normally like my days where I wasn't, it felt like I wasn't really working. It was like, okay, it, it's, it's an enormous amount of work. Like, and in fact, like considerably more than I expected, Yeah, <laughs> but same, but it's, um, there's something about it. That's like really, I, maybe just because it's different from what I do every day, but it was, it was re I loved it. Okay. Well, that's very interesting to me. So when you went back to full-time music, Hmm. Did it feel like that was an easy on-ramp? Did you miss the writing? Are you going to do it again? Yeah. I mean, I think like, like I was a literature major in college, like I was a writing major and I thought I was going to be a music journalist before I ended up just playing music. So writing has always been a big part of what I do. And in fact, like when I do um, live shows and stuff, I always have like long form storytelling or like a lot of time I'll have long form storytelling and written stuff. And so, and I have like a, a newsletter that I do every month that's, um, so I like write these, they're called Tyson Matzenbacher's marketing emails that don't market. And it's just like essays. That's awesome. So <laughs> writing, yeah, <laughs> people like that. So writing has always been a big part of like what I do, um, even like within my music, but, uh, it def this definitely was like the first time that it became a big part of like my daily life. Mm. I always love to hear where things begin. And so that's super interesting to, to hear your thoughts on that. And I'm, I would love to talk with you about Where the Waves Turn Back. This is your new, brand new memoir coming out in April. There it is. Um, yeah. How about that? When you see the cover, do you get excited? Because this I, I is the moment. Okay. It's wild to see it. Yeah. Right. To, it came, it started in your head and now it's in print. It's a wild journey. So Where the Waves Turn Back is about this 40-day pilgrimage that you took along the coast of California in 2013. You set out immediately after the death of your mom. And now it has been 10 years. And I'd love to talk first about the waiting. Mm -hmm. I want to know, because a lot of folks have stories that have been percolating for a long time. Maybe they are, have a story that has just not let them go. But time, I've noticed, can be a little bit of a paralysis agent, right? The farther we get away from those moments, sometimes that can stop us in our tracks. Um, and I'd love to hear about that decision. Why now? 
right? Mm-hmm. And what about that 10 years? Yeah, well, I, I kind of started like I the the walk itself is was a time in my life where I wasn't really sure what would come afterwards at all. Like I I wasn't sure if I was gonna go back to playing music or I wasn't sure if I was gonna it was sort of like this this uh moment in my life where it was like this break and I didn't know what would come later. And so when it when after the walk was over and I started like going back to my regular life, I I kind of was like, man, I should probably try to get some of this down. I had all these notebooks of stuff I'd written on it, but I actually started writing it pretty, pretty short after, like not, not very long afterwards. And so I would go, the way that I did it is I would like, just go, I started out where it's like one day would be a chapter. So these are like really short chapters. And I would just, I would write one chapter a day and I would do that like once a week or something. And, um, and I would like open Google maps up and I would just, cause you can like put the little yellow guy on the street. Right. And I would just like click and I would just walk it every morning. So I would like sit down and I would rewalk my day. With the yellow guy. Yeah. With the little yellow guy. And then I would, and then I would write down and then I would just kind of start from there and I would just write. And so I had kind of like a really detailed journal of it that was written like within three or four years of that walk. So like, and then, uh, obviously, you know, it takes a long time to turn that into a real proper book, but um, so yeah, it's, I think it was just a, it was a really long process of getting it, getting it to where it is now for sure. But yeah. Yeah. So when you start, when you revisited, you mean you would go to a coffee shop or whatever, and you and yep. the, the yellow guy mm-hmm. would revisit using yep. your journals as prompts. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. So do you feel like you have more to give now than you like, because I, I have a fair number of friends who are writing memoir almost in the moment or right, right after the moment. And mm-hmm. there's something to be said for that. Um, and there's also something to be said with letting, letting life um, steep its toes a little bit and then returning. So what's your, now that you're done with it, what's your feeling on that? Well, I mean, a lot of what this book deals with is like, is issues of faith and like, of like, kind of like the questions of what basically of like the, like growing up within a certain set of beliefs and then having those beliefs challenged and then coming out the other side of that. And so uh, the thing that's really interesting about it is that obviously like that's, that's a really dynamic process. Right. And, and, and within that also, it's like questions about yourself and about like, um, you know, goodness in the world and safety and meaning and beauty and all those types of things. So those are like really dynamic questions. And I right. think, you know, there's these, there's these like sort of like earthquake moments in your life where those are really challenged which is what this moment with my with my mother passing away and then walking across California was it was a really sort of like earth-shaking moment for that but it's not like those questions went away and and that was actually the hardest part about trying to wrap the book up was trying to trying to like make conclusions out of things that are really hard to conclude you know to say like I still have tons of questions about all that stuff and there's a moment in the book where I'm like what well what changed like you have to figure out like what where did you start and where did you end through this process, you know? And for me, a lot of it was realizing that like, oh, I think I'm actually at the beginning of something new here. This is actually way more of a beginning than it is like a conclusion. And so um, that's, that's kind of like where I, where I come back to. It's just this feeling of being like, none of this is over. It's, it's changing every day. And there is something weird about, right? Like I'm 36 years old. And and I always thought that like memoirs were something you wrote when you like had been a Senator. Right. Or something. <laughs> <laughs> and 
<laughs> totally. So, like you have to earn the right to write a memoir. Totally. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's like, well, no, like I don't have any Nobel Peace Prizes. So like, why would anybody want to read my memoir? You know, oh, I'd and, so <laughs> rather read yours. <laughs> oh, winner. I'm sure they're lovely people, the Nobel people. Yeah. Um, but no, you did. I'm glad you didn't wait. And I'm glad which, that you wrote what you did. And um, you just are a beautiful writer. I mean, just so many times that I would kind of lean back from reading and think, oh, that was such a great sentence. Um, and I'll tell you a few more of those things down the road. But I have a question in particular about your mom. She seems mm -hmm. like an absolutely remarkable woman. Yeah. Um, you write about her so beautifully with compassion and admiration, but also humor mm -hmm. in a way that I just hope my son writes a little bit about me like that. Yeah. Um, one day it was just such a tribute to her. She is definitely a heroine, but she's absolutely mm. human as well. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So my question about that, was that tricky at all? Trying to capture in just a few pages, the gravity and the joy of who your mom was and is like, how did you decide what to include? Because really this is your story. She was mm -hmm. the impetus to you yeah. taking those first steps and continuing on the steps, but it's your story. So how did you decide how to write about her? It was, that was tough. And I think I have this like really, you know, because people are really three dimensional, you know, there's a lot, like even the way that I, that I wrote about my mom, there's a lot more to her than that. Um, but I just, I sort of realized like the, what I wanted to do was I wanted to illuminate her personality in in like contrast to the subject matter of the book, which is like suffering and tragedy and, and death actually like she, her, her relationship to death was like fascinating. It was, mm. she, she had no problem with it. She was like, this is how it is. And um, there's something really beautiful about it. And it's actually about the process. Like there's a moment in the book where she's trying to explain death to me. And she says, it's like when the ocean is foggy and, she, and, the, and like, you're looking out to, out to sea and you know, that there's a place where it changes and it becomes sky and it becomes sea, but it, it doesn't matter. It, she's like, it doesn't matter. Like there's a, there is a place where one thing becomes other thing, but it doesn't matter. It's not the point. Um, and so I really wanted to illuminate, I wanted to like really write about uh, this really fascinating sense of like, sort of like almost like a laissez faire attitude about death itself and way more about the process of it and the meaning of it and what it says about you as a person. And then also her humor and sort of her, like I talk about her having an Irish temperament. She sort of has this like poetic humor um, towards things that are really quite severe. One of my favorite little, little glimpses of her in the book is this moment when I, I come home from college and my car is packed full of all my stuff from my dorm. It's like, it's a pretty like, formative moment for me as a young person is that I'm moving out of my dorm or whatever. And she's, she's sitting on the ground on the grass and she's looking, so she's facing away from me and she's sitting on the grass looking at a butterfly. And I say like, Hey mom, I'm home or whatever. And then she says, if she says, if you spook this butterfly, I'll kill you. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's just like her. It's just, it's this thing about her being basically like focusing on these small, intricate beauties. Um, and realizing like kind of the way that she was able to see these small like animals and uh you know uh patterns in nature and people's small emotions that are actually adding up to be, to be really important and her focusing on these details in a way that makes the things that we are all focusing on every day actually way less important because the, they're made up of these smaller things and if you can take them in pieces it actually means more and so i really wanted to find ways to like 
Because I think there was something about her that was that was living above that was like in transition well before she was dying. Um, and I wanted I wanted to find a way to like have her be immortalized in that in that very specific season of transition, because that was where I learned the most from her, I think. All of those scenes I wanted to reread immediately. I mean, you know, we're all um we're all moving in that same direction. So it always feels like a sacred space when you hear from people who are in, in the spot that we're all headed. Right. But she sounds like she just did that beautifully and was teaching you not in a way that felt didactic or like she was on a pedestal. Listen, gather around. It was very much, I'm your mom. I'm going to show you what I know and what I'm learning. Um, You just wrote it so beautifully. And before I say another word, your um, ability to write dialogue is off the hook. It's oh, so good. I don't know if that, does that come naturally to you? Yes. I, the answer is yes. No, no, no. I can't. What? I'm so glad you said that because that's actually one of the two things that I have the hardest time with in writing are, are dialogue and then the passing of time and so, like making, t- making time. The, fa- the fact you said that means so much to me because that, oh, that, that was a struggle for me. Yeah. Masterclass. <laughs> there were so many, no, it seems, I think the hardest thing about writing dialogue is to make it sound like you're in the room mm-hmm. as opposed to add, usually people add too much. There's too, there's more pontificating than there is in real life. <laughs> no, it is fantastic. And she would leap off the page. I mean, every time she was in a scene, I would lean in because I just wanted to hear what she was going to say so that's fantastic writing really really well done that was actually that was one of the first notes i got back from from my editor that was like we need more of her okay your mom because and and that was clear like because the book is me walking down the street so there's not like there's not a lot of characters in it right like i mean and and that was what i realized early on was like you know that those sort of that sort of like internal monologue is important and that's what the book's about but really it's about people you know the Mm -hmm. book it has to be about people and so the characters really are like California is a character like the state itself and then my mom and then uh, all these you know unique people that I come across along the walk but that was my and it was so true like the the longer I went along I was like oh my mom is easily the most interesting character in this book like she's great she's yeah. great but that gives us such an such a great window into who you are too. The way you write about her tells us about you and you're kind of the protagonist too. So yes, I want to return to some of the characters that you met along the way. But first, I would love for you to tell me a little bit about grief. So in some ways, I feel like I walked, I walked those first flushes of raw, raw grief with yep. you in your pages. I mean, it sounds like you had a service for your mom. You said goodbye to your mom. And about Mm. 45 seconds later, strapped on some really inappropriate shoes, by the way, and just walked out the door. And so I would love to know what you know about grief that you did not know before you started. And I'm sure that this, as you've changed, you know, with the 10 years, I'm sure as the light shifts in the room, it looks different now than it did then. But talk to me a little bit about grief. I think like the, yeah, the, I mean, this is obviously there. I could talk about this all day long and and who knows, who knows how far we would even get. But I think the main thing that I, that I found with it was like, there's a, there's a bit in the book where I'm talking about my mom losing her dad when she was a kid and that some, and there, and there's, it was actually a realization when I was writing it, which was that I, I realized that there was always a presence in my mom. There was like a physical presence, which was an absence um, that with my mom, there was always a space, like I said, there's a space where a dad was supposed to be. And, and I think like that, 
that is so much of what grief becomes is that it becomes a, an absence so significant that it becomes a presence. And you start to see, like, you start to see it as a presence. You start to see missing, you start to see, like, empty spaces. Um, and I think that, like, for me, I always wanted to, I was an, I, I was and am an avoider. Like, whenever there was an, one of those, those um, absences, I would kind of, like, juke and and move around it and try or like try to find a joke about it or get get out of there you know yeah the sort of like the whole place that i came to and really like this whole the whole book is for me it's like me trying to remind myself of like what specifically how i react to grief and how i'm bad at it like that's the whole point of the walk was my mom was like you you suck at being sad basically so go do something about it um and i i think that the what i've realized the most is that all of the most important and big and beautiful things in life come from grief. Like there's, that's from sadness and from loss and from suffering. It's like, that's, it's actually this portal towards meaning. Um, and so like to avoid it is, is just, there's like a part in the book where I say that like to avoid suffering is to avoid living and to suffer all the same. It's, it's that there's really no, there's really no avoiding it. And if you can find a way to embrace it and to like embrace those empty spaces, it's, it's actually like that I think is one of the keys to having a full rich life is, is to allow grief to like saturate you and to like find the joy on the other side of it. So this is interesting for me to hear you say this, that you are a chronic avoider. I guess I remember that in the beginning of the book. And I remember your mom's not so gentle nudge of like, you're going to need to face this. You're going to need to actually wade into the grief and into sadness. And you're bad at that. So, um, my, that's interesting for me to hear you say you're just a really King avoider or you were because listen, Tyson, this book, this walk was not easy. I mean, I am fully aware that I love my bed, for example. Uh-huh. I have flannel sheets because it's winter here in Iowa and I have an affection for them that maybe isn't super healthy. You, there <laughs> were so many times that 100% I would have been like, that was a great grief walk. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going home to coffee and you didn't. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So are you sure you're an avoider? Like why? I I understand that the why in some ways was almost an obedient act to your mom, right? Yeah, like totally. she had said, you need to do something like this, but you kept doing it. And there are plenty of points in the book where you say your mom would not have like been disappointed in you no. if you turned around. It wasn't really that. So why did you keep going? That's really my question. I mean, there are times I won't mention the particular scene where you sleep in a really unfortunate place. Yeah, totally. And that comes with you. Okay. Yeah, right. But that would have been a time when I would have said, I think I've learned enough. What kept you on that road? Well, I think I, I am, I am not an avoider of like, I think the other thing about this is that I, I, when I was, I mean, I'm not really an avoider of disc of physical discomfort. I'm I'm a big avoider of emotional discomfort. Ah, okay, okay. And and I think I think the reason why my mom like the, one of the reasons why my mom told me to do something like this was that she knew that if I was doing something that was that felt like an adventure or something that was it, that that I would have I would be forced into this into this position of like not only being uncomfortable physically but being uncomfortable emotionally. Um, but, uh, there were a lot of moments when I, when I didn't 
want to keep going. And I think, I think honestly, what part of it was, is that I had told everybody that I was going to do it. Okay. Like, I, I was like, that was so <laughs> Shame. much of it. Shame will totally. get you keep walking for sure. <laughs> for sure. I was like, there's like, there's a part where my legs seize up in the beginning and these two Marines pick me up in their truck. And I thought, and I think about how funny it would be if, cause they're driving like hundred miles an hour. And I realized how I was thinking about how funny it would be if I told all my friends that I'm going to walk across California and then I die in a car accident one day later. <laughs> With some Marines in a jacked up truck. That exactly. was a great scene. Yeah. Oh man. Well, yeah. Shame can be a motivator. I'm not above that. I'm just saying even shame for me would have, I would have found some sheets and you didn't. I think part of it too, was that like, I mean, yeah, what I was going to say is that on the back of this is that like when I was, you know, when I was 19, I was, I like was homeless in Europe for four months and this whole, like the months leading up to this, I'd been on tour for like three years. So being on tour is arguably worse than sleeping okay. on the side of the road. <laughs> How at, so? At least, at least being on tour the way that it was back then, which is like, just, I mean, you know, you're sleeping on like co-op floors in Berkeley and it's like, I mean, it's, it's not, it's not a comfortable existence. And I think what this one was, is that it was really uncomfortable and it hurt. And it was, there were some times that were like excruciating, but, um, it was so there, like, it's almost hard to even describe. And I don't even know if I totally did it in the book, which is, I, hopefully I did, but it's, it's this, like, there's this solitude and this silence and this, like, um, like even just watching the sun go down every day and having something to do, which is just a simple task. It's like, all I have to do is walk as far as I can. And um, I think that that coming like, like in the modern age with like the internet and this, like, like this kind of constant rat race to like produce an unset amount of things. And the sort of like all of these, uh, these tensions that I don't even know if you totally, we totally recognize are, are real coming at us from all angles. It was actually like an, an enormous release, like just having that be the only thing I had to do every day. It was, there was actually something really, really wonderful about it that in some ways, like, I mean, like that, that at the end of the book, I say like that, this is, it's the opposite of everyday life, which is that in everyday life, things are pretty good all the time, but they're never really great and they're never really bad. And like walking, when I was doing my walk, it was everything was either the worst thing I'd ever experienced or it was the best thing I'd ever experienced. It was like this enormous like, and in fact, those two things, it's what the book is about, which is that like those two things are informing one another, you know? So like when you're, uh, when you find you know, when you find like a, when you finally get a shower or you like right. see the sunset the right way or, you know, somebody at a brewery gives you a free meal and asks you questions. It's like those those things are are so much better because of the thing that they came after. You know, right. the thing that was before it was so right. brutal that it makes it so much better. And it was those were the things that kept me going, I think. Hey everybody, just a quick break here to let you know about a fun resource for all of you visual people. Did you know that you can watch for real on YouTube? It's true. You can see when I'm wheeze laughing off camera, take note of when the lawnmower kicks up outside my window, and see all of these conversations unfold in real time. So if you are more of a watcher than a listener, head on over to the Kimberly Stewart YouTube channel and pop some corn. We'll be happy to see you there. And now back to the conversation. 
When you talk about having one job, I have lots of friends who are walking through just really gutting grief right now. And there is something about having the job, right? Ha and your body being a part of that. So Correct. I have yes. one friend a few years ago who's who um, her dad passed away and she has a very demanding job and she would and three kids and a husband, she was just like gunning it through the day. Yeah. And then at the end of the day, she would go on a bike ride and she used to bike with her dad right. and she wouldn't even realize it, but she would have tears just coursing down her face, even if she wasn't thinking about her dad and her grief therapist said to her something to the effect of your body will remember and will your body will know what to do with grief. You need to let it do what it does. Right. Totally. So the rest of the day, she had this fantastic armor on out of necessity. She needed to yeah. keep moving. But I wonder if that's a little bit of what you had on your pilgrimage that your body will just remind you of what your heart is going through, even if you don't want to. Did you find that at all? A hundred percent. I mean, that, that I think was also my, my mom was, I don't, I don't say, but I don't talk about this in the book, but my mom was one of the first people to study EMDR, which is like a type of, of therapy where, which is like unpacking grief and trauma by like, kind of like triggering right and left brain or whatever. And the person that, that discovered it was kind of figured it out by walking. Cause you're looking at the ground on the right side and then you're looking at the left side. And it's, it's like, there's, I, I, I think there's like, that's one of the things that I, I really try to say in the book a lot too, which is that this, <laughs> something that became really apparent to me really early was that there are things at play that you can't see or sense. It's like, whether that's something that, you know, whether that's like in the, in the spiritual realm or whether it's like within our own bodies, it's like, I, I don't really know what my, how my body is, is reacting to this. And it is, I, I do think that being like allowing your body to process it through, through something is, is really important. That was mm. definitely the case for me. Mm. Well, you definitely did. I mean, I, again, the, the length of the time, it's a biblical number. 40 days is a very long time to take a journey into the wilderness and you, you stuck out. Um, and I won't spoil it for our listeners, but when you get to the goal, mm -hmm. I just cried mm. with you. I mean, I don't even know if you were crying there. I don't think you were. I, I was, I was, and you, um, kind of tell about your mom there too. And it was just, it's so beautifully wrought and earned, like every foot of that was earned. So um, just really beautifully done. I have just a couple other questions. First, I wonder about solitude. You, mm -hmm. You're right. You have all these fantastic characters that you meet along the way. I, I'm thinking about some of them. I'm thinking about Lucy and Nico and um, Francis, all these people who really come to life and then you leave them. Yeah. And there's this one moment in the book where you're, it's early morning and you say, there's this little line where you say it was kind of early to be arguing with myself already. And so I'm wondering about the solitude of that because those, those meetings broke up the solitude, but was the solitude a gift or a burden or both? And then my second part is how did that work when you got back home? Yeah. Uh, that's a great question. I, I think that at the beginning it was it was really, really hard. Like I think at the beginning I, I hadn't, I hadn't like, I didn't really know how to do it. Like, I, I think, I think I was like, what I would do at the beginning is that, um, and this is actually something that my mom told me to do was that I would, she, she explained that like when you have, you know, I'm not like when you have something that, that sort of like shatters your world like that, you, 
it's like you have all these shelves in your in the room of your brain and they have like boxes with stuff in them and the the like little earthquake knocks all the boxes off the shelves onto the floor <laughs> and she she was like you know what you need to do is you need to go get those boxes and put them back on the shelf and so the way that I thought about that was that I would go, I would kind of like look through this little room in my brain and I'd be like, what's something that fell off the shelf? And then I would find it and then I would look in that box and I would sort of see what was in there and then I would put it, put it back on the shelf. And I would kind of do that every day. Like the one that I talk about in the book is the moment when I realized that my mom wouldn't be at my wedding. And, and it was like, I was like watching these newlyweds and I was thinking about doing the first dance with my mom and, and I realized like she wouldn't be there. And, and so I, that, I was like, okay, well, today is mom wedding box, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and I would say like, what does this mean? And it means that like, she won't know my wife and she won't know, she won't do the first dance with me and she won't be able to be there to do this. And what would she have wanted? And like, what would have been exciting to her and what would have been annoying to her and what, so it's basically me like looking through mom, not going to be my wedding box. And I kind of would sort through it. And then at the end of the day, I would have like looked in the box and then I would, I would put the, put the, put the lid on the box and I would put it back on the shelf and I would know. And now whenever weddings and moms come up, I, I know what's in that box. Cause I spent that day looking in that box. You know. How did you know how to do that? She that's told me. Brilliant. Yeah, she, she told that's, you to that's do how that. She explained it to me. I was, it's fun talk. You know, what's so funny about this. This is a little side note, but I didn't know like how important this book was going to be for moms. <laughs> and because like I just wrote this book thinking that it was going to be like, you know, this sort of like bohemian walk across California, like sort of like a beat poet thing or something. And I realized like, oh, a lot of this is a, is for moms because um, I had such a special relationship with my mom, you know, and and I think that like a lot of what being a mom is like is sort of like looking at what kind of what like if I had if I had three paragraphs from my kid one day what would those paragraphs look like or whatever? You know, my, my mom said that there at the very beginning, she gave me this list of stuff. The very first day I walked, she gave me this letter and she, she, she listed all of her, her, all of her accomplishments, which is so interesting. You know, she was like, and my mom was a very interesting person and she'd done a lot of interesting things. But at the very end of it, she was like, you know, all these accomplishments don't matter because it's really about you guys, about my sister and I. And for me, that's a funny thing because like, I'm a young person. I just like moved to California to try to like make my way in the world. And, you know, I wasn't really thinking about my mom that much. And, um, and in, in some ways, like I was avoiding her being sick a lot. Like I write about that too. It's like one of the things that I feel like was one of my great adult failures. Um, but, uh, realizing that like, man, that's really one of the most important thing in the world is that like, is the relationship with moms and, and sons and moms and daughters and, and what, what what does that look like at the end of the road? And maybe it could look like something like this. You know, I think that's like what moms get from this is like, man, what what a cool thing to to realize that like all of these sort of thankless toilings for all these years could lead to something this beautiful. And it's a huge gift for me to realize how how it went. Um, so uh, that was a side note. I'm sorry, I kind of derailed. That was a great. I have. I'm so glad you kept talking because I was crying. So Aww. thanks for <laughs> continuing on as the mom. I hear that loud and clear. Um, so yes, again, those moments where you had the courage to take the boxes off of the shelf and look in, you had a lot of those on your own. Um, and maybe my question isn't just about 
that, but also just the re-entry in general. I mean, you write about the beauty of silence. That was probably the most surprising part for me. You know, the cover of your book is, you know, the rugged coast of probably a more northern area of California. And it looks so, you know, untouched. I head out to Southern California fairly frequently. I don't think I've ever seen one part of it that's untouched. So I don't know why I didn't make that connection, but there's a lot of noise. In fact, you say at one point you remember the quiet. The quiet was so unusual that you remember the quiet. And so you had a lot of time on your own, sometimes with noise, sometimes with quiet, and then you re-entered your life and you don't write about that. So of course I have to ask you, how did it go when you got back? Totally. I mean, like, I, I think... It's one of the things I say at that very end point that you were referencing was that I realized that like I was trying to ask myself what had changed and I realized that like very little had changed. It was just that I sort of was aware of the ways that I needed to change Um, or I was like I was like aware of the you know if like if like grief is this idea of like um, you know acknowledging empty spaces it's sort of it's sort of like what that process did for me, which was that I realized like, oh my gosh, I have so far to go. Like there was, there was this one moment that I think about a lot, which is I came, what I wanted. I remember at the end of this, I had this vision of myself, which I was like, I'm like this, like, I'm like this quiet listener who I'm like, a like from now on, like I'm going to be like a quiet, like listener who is, um, who like makes people feel good and like safe and welcome and, and, and that I'm, I'm sort of like a calm presence. That's what I want to be, which is if like, it's very much not who I naturally am okay. at all. And, <laughs> and, uh, and I remember we came home and we like all went out for dinner, like me and all my friends, we went out to dinner at this Mexican restaurant that we like, and you know, there were like 15 of us there and we were like halfway through the dinner. And I realized that I had been like, it, it just hit me like a, like a brick where I was like, Oh, I, like I had been like loudly talking about myself the entire time. Like, like, and, and because everybody wanted to know about my walk or whatever, sure, and then this happened and then this yeah. happened, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, Oh my gosh, I'm back. Like I'm, it's, I, nothing changed. I'm, I'm worse. Like I'm worse. <laughs> uh, you know, it's you like made it one appetizer. One day. Yeah, no, totally. I'm sitting here making jokes and like kind of shrugging off people's like attentions and I'm being, I'm being insufferable immediately. It was, and, and it was like this, I, I remember it happened like during the dinner, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm being, I'm being insufferable right now. And I'm being the exact opposite of the person I was trying to become. And I, the only difference really is that I always would have done that. I still do that now, but like, I notice it now, I yeah, guess. Right. <laughs> it's, like, it's like this thing of being like, oh, this is not who I want to be. And, and um, a lot of what this book is about is like, the, where the title comes back, from, where the title comes from, is is me watching this old man surfing and up in Cayucas, and he's got a dog, and the dog's just sitting there watching him on the beach. And the reason why I picked that the title is, is like you know if I could imagine my life myself at the end of my life standing like where the waves turn back on this like this you know the space between the the ocean and the shore like who do I want to be? Who do I want to be then? And it's really like, um. A lot of it is is thinking because I think when you're when you're put when you're forced to like confront or to like face death and grief, it's like, well, then if this is sort of the end, like wh- where where do I want to be? Like, what's the end point? What do I want to be like when I get closer to there every day? Like, who do I want to be when I'm standing there at the very end? And um, really, it's like I think I, I think I know 
who that person is. And I'm definitely not that person, but through these types of processes, I think we are forced to recognize the ways that we aren't that way, you know, and have a vision of what it can be. Right. right. I mean, that, totally. that guy's in your head. He's in my head now too. You write that scene so well. And, uh, I, that's really the thing, right? Being able to get a glimpse of where we're headed, knowing we're not there, totally. but, but it's possible. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's so beautiful. Um, I have one quick question and then a final question. Are you ready? Okay. I'm ready. I'm wondering if you interact differently with vagabonds and wanderers because now you have been one. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's funny where I, like the way that I sort of think about it now and the way that I thought about it when I was when I was walking is that there's this invisible barrier like between those people and between society because and for a lot of reasons, you know, those people are often you know, it's a lot of the times they choose that life and a lot of the times they don't choose that life and and if they did choose that life, there's a reason why they chose it. It's like it's almost like it's almost impossible for the two groups of people to even like understand each other, you know? Um, And those, those people are in my experience, you know, they're like, that is an entire ecosystem unto itself. Those people are incredibly interesting and uh, their stories are like a lot of the time just heartbreakingly devastating to hear. And, um, you know, like I, I, I remember, I remember like a lot of times, like if you were to like what you were saying about your, about your, about your sheets, right? Like I get that. Like we have a, my wife and I, we have a king sized bed and she changes the sheets all the time. And she, she, she bought like six sets of them from target before she picked the ones that she wanted and stuff. And and I noticed that and I'm like, oh, these are the one, these are the good sheets, you know, or like, like I'm totally that way. You know, like we, my wife works for Hyatt. She works for the hotel chain. And so like, when we go on vacation, sometimes like we could stay in these nice hotels now and stuff. Right. And, and I far love cry it. from a ditch. Yeah. The high totally. Mm-hmm. I'm, and I'm like, I'm kind of fancy now, you know? Yeah. Like, like, <laughs> yeah. Like I like, I like that stuff. Like I, like I will absolutely buy an $18 cocktail if you go out for dinner, <laughs> you know? And, and that stuff to me is so like, like when I think back to myself and then the people that I knew then in numerous stages in my life, like whether it was touring or it was like when I was in Europe or it was walking across California, it's like those, those are just such asinine like ways of thinking about the world. It's like, who cares? You have sheets, like you have a, you have a bed, like, yeah, right. And, and, and you have like, you have in, like, you know that you're going to have an income next month. And like the, like those types of questions are just crazy. It's crazy to that mental, to that person. And to my past version of myself and like simultaneous. So like, I think that what I'm able to do now a little bit is see basically like the space where, where communication and understanding stops going both directions, you know, because like, I can't, like, there's a character in the book named Francis, who is this native American kid who like lost his whole family because his dad drove a pickup truck through their double wide trailer. And it's like, I can't imagine I like I have no I didn't then and I don't now have any context for that person's life and and for the wealth of like understanding and and like just trauma and heartbreak and suffering and loss and how do you recover from that and then I guess it's like 
it's just this there's this invisible barrier there and and i think i feel really lucky having been able to like um live on the other side of that barrier for a little while just not enough to like experience the the way that those people live really because at the end of the day you know i could have like made two phone calls and been home been on an airplane home but um but it is like it's a it's 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 a widening of like the experience that i think usually when when you look at something like that like oh this person's so they're just a homeless person or something it's like oh no there's a lot more there well tyson i just want to thank you for writing a really great book it's a great story thanks for living it um and then taking the time to write about it thanks for writing about your mom who sounds like just a really really wonderful woman um I'm not your mom, but Mm -hmm. I guess that I would think that she would just absolutely love reading this book. You just, you did write by her. Um, So thank you you for taking the time to do it um, because you're teaching us lots of really great things. Um, I have a final question that I ask all of the people who come on. Hmm. I would ask you about music, but you've already proclaimed that you like to write and I'm assuming you like to read. Is this correct? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Then it's a book nerd question. Okay. It's a two-parter. First, a book that you recommend over and over. It could be super old, way back list, no worries. And then maybe part two, a book you're looking forward to diving into, but have not yet read. Okay. Interesting. This one's sort of funny, but one of the books that I tell everybody to read is this cowboy book by Larry McMurtry. Okay. It's called Lonesome Dove. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Okay, good. I'm glad you know it. There's oh, yeah, that's a made... classic. It's been on yeah. my to-read list for years, but I should read it. Should I bump it's it up? So, it's so good. It's, okay. They, you know, they made. I think they made like a made for television. They totally did. About it. Yes. It's like in four parts, but the book is so good, and it's the yeah. characters are amazing, and the story is so fun. And I've read, I think I've read every book that that he wrote, and that's okay. the one. That's the okay. One. Lonesome Dove. Great recommendation. I love Lonesome Dove. Okay. Um, let's see here. There's, I, I like fantasy books and sci-fi books a lot. And so I yeah. kind of like, I try to like do some fantasy sci-fi, like, like imagination times and then like read something that's a little bit, maybe a little bit heady or whatever. Um, but there's a, there's this guy named Patrick Rothfuss and he has the King, it's called the King Killer uh series and he's written two of the books and i love them and the third one is not out yet and he's been working on it for like eight years i think and i don't know oh, if it's heavens. ever going to come out okay but i when it comes <laughs> but you'll out be i'll ready. be ready i will be very excited to read that one yeah <laughs> okay um, the king killer is that the name of the trilogy the king killer yeah, almost trilogy the king killer trilogy and it's okay. fun it's really fun it's it's um it's like if you're a fan of like you know token or um maybe maybe some of the yeah like that kind of like old it's it's deeply in the world of like kind of that uh early fantasy stuff it's really okay fun. that's a great recommendation i am not i am not very well versed in sci-fi and fantasy but i have avid fans in my home yeah. who are who tend to reread the classics over and over um and so this is a great recommendation i could see them really digging that one yeah okay fantastic I'm reading a Julio Cortazar book. He's a like a Central American or South, South American author right now. And it's that one's really, really fun. It's really heady. It's hard to read, but it's it's really fun. It's it's him in Paris with a bunch of bohemians like 
and it's fun. That one feels sort of like in the he feels sort of like a uh, like a South American kind of Bukowski character. Okay. It's, oh, I just love this. So he's fun. That one's fun. Okay, great. We're going to link to all these things in the show notes so people can find them. Um, and also, audience people, listen, please buy a copy of Where the Waves Turn Back, a 40-day pilgrimage along the California coast by Tyson Matzenbacher. It is. It needs to be on your shelf. Um, it's just a really lovely book, and you did so well. I'm honored to be able to talk with you about it. So thank you for being on. This is my first like actual talk about the book ever. So it's fun to do. Well, you crushed it. You had all sorts of insightful things to say. You're ready. Go do the press junket. You're good. All right. (laughs) Thank you, Tyson. Thanks for being here. Thanks so much. I want you to know that Tyson was talking with me from an old bell tower as we recorded. It's his studio and his workspace, and it is very cool. A cello hung in the background, which is also just ridiculously cool. So I just want you to know he's showering again. That's what I'm saying. The road changed him in all sorts of beautiful ways. And now he's back making music and creating beautiful things in a bell tower. That's how it works, right? We walk these roads, we learn, and we return home and bring some of the road with us. You're all doing that with me conversation by conversation. And I know I am the luckiest of girls. So thank you for being my traveling compatriots. I will see you again soon right here for real.